Welcome for another edition of the official Jets podcast powered by Amazon Web Services. EA in Florida Park holding it down. Ethan in Hoboken, 3.40 p.m. Tuesday, March 24th. On today's episode, we're going to do a little bit of draft talk. I know that it's free agency right now, but Mel Kuyper of ESPN just put out his new mock draft. Basically, a ripple effect of the first wave of free agency, and EA and I will be going through the top 10 and, of course, the Jets at 11, basically see who could take who come April. We're officially just under a month away from the NFL draft, April 23rd to April 25th. And Olivia Landis caught up with Cynthia Freeland. That'll be our interview today. And really, this is the second podcast in a row where we have some breaking news right off the top. Yesterday, it was reportedly Jordan Jenkins re-signed with the Jets. And today, the Jets had to say goodbye to Robbie Anderson, who reportedly signed with the Carolina Panthers and reuniting with his college coach, Matt Rule. Yeah, reportedly uh, agreed to terms. That's Adam Schefter here a couple minutes ago. As you said, Greens, it is 341 on Tuesday. Things in the National Football League uh, just continue to come in. Multiple waves of free agency. Uh, Reuniting with Matt Rule there in Carolina and a former Jet. And they're no signal caller. That is Teddy Bridgewater, of course. Robbie did some nice things here for the Jets. and Joe Douglas and Adam Gase, both very complimentary of them. But with that being said, uh, free agency is fluid. And you know this, Joe Douglas will have a plan. All right, let's dive into some draft talk here. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through Mel Kuyper's 1 through 11, where the Jets select. And we're going to basically talk about who Mel slotted at each pick and then who we think could be other options for those teams. And really, when you look at the first and second pick, you think of Joe Burrow's been, he's been pegged to the Cincinnati Bengals from the get. So I don't really want to talk about him and Chase Young, the same thing in Washington, especially when you think that the Redskins just traded for Kyle Allen. I know there was some speculation that maybe Tua Tagovailoa or Justin Herbert could be the guy at number two. And really from all along, you see, a lot of the draft pundits say that the draft starts at number three, because if you're looking for the second quarterback, assuming Joe Burrow goes one, who's going to trade up to three? And the two most popular answers are the Chargers and the Dolphins. But right now, the way Mel Kuyper has it, no trades in his mock draft. Jeff Akuda, the cornerback from Ohio State, number three to the Detroit Lions. Yeah, Greens. Akuda is the name you've been seeing there by most draft pundits for months. In fact, everybody should read up on what you've been doing with the athletics, Dane Brugler on NewYorkJets.com. You guys are actually going to start up that series again. It's March 24th. We're less than a month away from the 2020 NFL draft. And everybody's been looking at the Lions, right, for a long time and saying that is the flashpoint they have their quarterback in place in Matt Stafford. Does Akuda come off the board that quickly? And if the Dolphins and or the Chargers want to get up to three, what is the price? I'm just looking at Miami right now. Just their first round picks alone, Greens. They have the fifth pick, the 18th pick, the 26th pick. I think they have more than enough ammunition when you look at their whole stockpile in 2020. They can get up there if they're targeting Tua to three. 
I think Detroit, if you're looking at it from a Lions perspective, fabulous position because you might be able to go back to five and or five or six and get the player you want. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think the Dolphins have the ammunition to get up to three. And really, I don't know why the Lions wouldn't fall back to five if those two teams make a trade. It feels like the Lions could, in theory, still take somebody like Jeff Akuda at five. I'm interested to see where the Giants go. And the Giants right now have the number four overall pick. In Mel Kuyper's mock draft, he has them taking Isaiah Simmons, who's, you know, he's listed at linebacker, but he's a Swiss Army knife. For the Clemson Tigers, he's played safety, he's played linebacker, he's played nickel, he's played outside corner. He plays everywhere for the Tigers. And a lot of other mock drafts also have the Giants taking an offensive lineman, similar to what the Jets want to do and what the Bills did last year. You build a wall around your young quarterback, and in the offensive line scenario, such would be the case for Daniel Jones. Now, this is saying that Dave Gettleman, GM of the Giants, would go on the defensive side of the ball and take a player really that can play anywhere on the field. Well, Simmons seems like a unique player. He might be the most versatile player in the entire draft class. Isn't that fair to say, Greens? You just mentioned everything that he did at Clemson. You know, I'd love to be in these draft meetings when the teams watch tape of Simmons because how do they want to use him? on the next level. And I'm not saying we're, we're moving in the national football league now to more of a position, less um, player evaluation scale, I think. And Simmons is a perfect example of that. Now, if you're the giants though, and you have a quarterback entering his second season and they do have a new coach there, the giants, is he your guy? I'm not saying the giants are going to take a quarterback at, Four. But if you know he's your guy, do you want to take that investment and give him a tackle? Because the Giants do, even though they've made a move or two in free agency, they have some question marks up front, Greens. Yes, they do. And Nate Solder still on the team. He plays left tackle. And they had some struggles uh, on the line last year. And, you know, it'll be very interesting to see if the first tackle comes off the board at four, which if the Jets were in the market, might not bode well for them at 11 based on the ripple effect. And, you know, really quickly here, before we hear from Olivia, you look at the Chargers at six, another possible trade-up option, or maybe they just sit where they are. And I know basically every Mock draft has them selecting either Tua or Justin Herbert, whoever the Dolphins do not select in in each person's respective mock draft. But then I've also seen a couple mock drafts, and I want to get your opinion on this, that have the Chargers taking a tackle to protect whoever plays back there, assuming it's not Justin Herbert or Tua. Well, I'm looking at the Chargers right now and saying, I think they've already made some line improvements. Trey Turner's there. They picked up Brian Balaga on free agency, the former longtime Green Bay Packers right tackle. So, Pouncey, you're hoping if you're a Chargers fan that he is going to be your center for 16 games next season. So I, I think they've done a couple moves here in free agency where they've fortified the line quite a bit. I still think the play for them is going after a quarterback. I'm just wondering if the Dolphins and the Chargers have – both their mindset on getting to uh, no matter what. The wild card here is 
The Carolina Panthers, yes, they reached agreement with Robbie Anderson, according to Adam Schefter today. But <laughs> they also officially released Cam Newton. Would the Chargers and Anthony Lynn be interested? They got to Rod Taylor there, a veteran who did some nice things with the Buffalo Bills. But would the Chargers, moving into that new stadium, want to take a flyer on Cam Newton? Yeah, I think that's a fascinating I think it'll be fascinating to see where Cam goes, where Jameis Winston also goes. He remains unsigned as we record this podcast. You know, it could break any second that he reportedly agreed to term somewhere. But for now, let's hear from Olivia Landis, who spoke with Cynthia Freeland. And then on the backside, we'll go through seven through 11. Now, before we kind of got rolling here, we were talking about some of the stuff you've been doing to keep yourself occupied. And you mentioned how you're dabbling in some teaching right now. Listen, I um I have a lot of friends with kids and they're having a hard time with this homeschooling. And one particular area that is a really big source of concern, math, um, where I have some some expertise. I am not a teacher and <laughs> I I give so much more. Every day I have more and more respect for teachers because I'm not gonna lie to you, watching and listening to what these kids have to uh, these parents. So I've been basically trying to take some of my football knowledge and football experience and turn it into hopefully fun lesson plans. And then kids have been sending me homework and we go over it in small groups on Zoom. So I am not a teacher, but I'm pretending to be a teacher during this quarantine time to help the parents out with a little bit of math. <laughs> a little bit of fun too. It's it's awesome that you're using your skills to help others. So hopefully we will see um see Not more a math teacher, but I'm trying. I'm just trying. But you're you trying. Math teacher, self-appointed. <laughs> <laughs> it gives it gives a huge perspective, right? And a lot of appreciation for oh my educators. Gosh, it's definitely so not hard. easy. It's so hard. <laughs> so hard. So well, Cynthia, I want to dive a little bit more into what you do for the NFL Network. We already mentioned how you are a data scientist and predictive analytics expert. You actually do a lot of content with the Jets. When you look at your job and this free agency period with how unique this has been with the coronavirus pandemic going on, how exactly does a data scientist or predictive analyst expert play into the role of free agency and predicting what can be some of the best met needs for certain teams? So it's really about having a plan, being collaborative, and then executing that plan. Now, I think the first day of free agency, you know, people were like, what are the Jets going to do? They have so many days, blah, 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 blah. And people were, it, you know, it, it didn't seem like the big splashy moves were going the Jets way, which honestly was really good. Then yeah. the deals start to come through. You see a corner that really played above average last season, Brian Poole being re-signed for $5 million. That is a great contract. It a is a good great. snag. What's that? I said a good snag for sure. A great snag because it's all about return on investment for the strategy that you want to enact, right? So if your strategy is to play defense with the, the pieces you've already paid for, CJ Mosley was a big acquisition last year. So now you have to take the pieces you that you have and you know, look, the run defense for the Jets is a huge source of strength last season. The pass defense could could 
use some work. So reinforcing that with the right types of players at the right price, that's really how you create the best strategy to win, especially in a division that now, you know, it's anyone's division, really. You know, like there's a lot of question marks kind of on every team and Mm -hmm. you have a quarterback that your coach believes in, which by the way, that's, that's a really big deal. So there's yeah. a lot of really interesting things happening and reinforcing the O-line, figuring out how to protect your asset. The most valuable p- player on any team is the quarterback just is right. So ultimately, you know, finding ways to reinforce the assets that you already have. You've already paid for Lev Bell. It's a sunk cost. You can't go back and reconsider it. You have to take the $198 million for this year's cap and allocate it in a way that gives you the best chance to win. And that's really, I, I've been really, you know, it's, it's not a sexy off season for the jets, but you know, I don't mean to, you know, sure. Brian's pool. Great. Super sexy. Great. But like bunch of old linemen, 300 pound men also sexy. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Not super flashy, but very meaningful and impactful. Well, when you look at the jets specifically, and I know that you were talking about, um, finding the pieces that already worked, implementing them. And, you know, the Jets haven't, like you said, necessarily made a huge splash in that first wave of free agency. But when you take a look at the green and white and some of their needs at this point in time, when you consider some of the data that you are reviewing on a day-to-day basis, what sticks out to you most about some of the immediate needs of this team? Well, obviously, look, I spent a lot of my thesis when I was in school and, you know, figuring out how to to really become impactful in the sports analytics space and football, particularly because my background, I worked actually at the league office in on Park Avenue in a financial strategy capacity ahead of the last CBA, trying to figure out what's the right blend of product and and product for the league office, it's games, right? Is it 16 and four, 17 and three, how many playoff games? It's funny because I was in the league office ahead of the last set of negotiations and the same things came up in this set of negotiations. It's really interesting to see how it all evolved. But as I was doing that, I noticed that there was a void in being able to really connect the dots with, you know, on field and create a strategy that was team specific to create the best products, AKA chances to win as defined by a team. Right? So when I look at, at what the Jets needs are, I think, you know, look, they've started to address the O-line for sure, but you almost can never address an O-line too much, right? Like, you know, you can, you can, you can keep, you know, trying until you get the right combination. And then by the way, like, do you want to run outside zone rushing or what, how do you want to use Lev Bell best? Because you paid for him. He's there. And how does that work with Sam Darnold? And oh, by the way, there are questions at wide receiver. And you got to solve those too. And in such a deep class and dra- in the draft for wide receivers, that's an interesting sort of like, well, how do you want to play that strategy? Which one's your favorite? Which one matches what Adam Gase wants to do? How do you want to make it all work together? And by the way, there's four tackles in this class that are really strong, would be great fits for the Jets. And I say tackles very specifically, right? So for me, shore up the tackle, figure out how to use the new pieces that you've got. Yes, George Fant is now there. I, I'm, I'm aware, you know, I'm, I'm following it too, but you can almost, again, you can almost never address an O-line too much. And I think the work that you're doing is so absolutely incredible. And I think it's something that's been missing from the NFL for a really long time. I wanted to circle back really quickly. You did mention, so the offensive line, and we've already seen 
Joe Douglas taking the steps to address the offensive line. But I wanted to circle back on something you had said, mentioning how you noticed there was something missing and then you were able to come up with this approach. And I'm assuming you had to pitch it and then be able to get where you're at today. What were some of the other steps that you had to take to implement this new approach that you've brought to the NFL? Because I think it's been so valuable for so many teams. Thank you. I like that. Um, ultimately, <laughs> absolutely. Like, like anything else, just like your job, just like, you know, an accountant or a teacher or any job, you have to, there's, there's an element of trust in, in being able to deliver. Like, so your boss says, Olivia, you were, you work from home during this time, create these podcasts, make content that we want. There's a level of trust there that you're going to do the things that are, you you have an understanding of what your audience is looking for and how they can find it. It's the same thing with analytics and sports. The good teams have a lock step between coach and front office and their analytics staff in the scouts. They use all of the tools available in their tool belt. And analytics is one that helps create strategy. But when, when it comes to me, and because I touch all of the teams, I get a chance to speak to many teams and I get a chance to try to you know, look, I tell, I'm lucky. I'm super lucky because I get to tell really positive stories because, you know, when you're, when you're covering all of the teams, then, you know, it, what is a bad, what is a bad thing for one team is actually often a good thing for another. So yeah. you're, you're trying to find positives and I'm able to be, to be useful because teams will ask me, they'll be like, Cynthia, can you help me when I, when I consult for teams, they'll be like, can you help me like structure and organize the analytics staff that I have so that we can solve a question about, I'm going to use one that's absolutely not the jets, you know, just because to keep everything, you know, because I'm trust is a big deal. Right. Um, yeah, help us figure out which running back we should target of these five, given that we want to do this and help me structure my team so that the people who are my analytics staff here, they're feeling more useful. That's what the good teams are doing. And I feel that's my favorite type of project because then I get to help people kind of like, you know, I think I may, maybe, maybe I'm always a teacher, right? Like now that I think about this, yeah, like it sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. But I, I want people to feel happy and satisfied and math isn't very sexy. It, it advanced math and going through and trying to, you know, a lot of it is writing computer code, also not necessarily the most sexy thing, right? So, you know, you want to be around football and football is so much fun and it, the energy and you get wins and losses, which is like, that's awesome in life. And they're, they're almost inconsequential wins and losses. Like when I was a banker, you have a loss, like you can get fired and it's scary, right? You have a loss yeah. here. Yes. Eventually if you have too many losses, you get fired, but you know, you get, you get a chance next Sunday again to go out there and, and prove yourself. So it, it's interesting to see when you, when you talk to teams, making people useful and strat, like strategizing how to, you know, use all of the different things available to us. There's so many different data points now with the next gen stats coming out with people learning how to write different types of computer code. There's tons of different ways that you can be useful. And it's really about how to like, you know, create the structure that the coach trusts and the GM trusts and that people can use. Thanks to Olivia and to Cynthia for joining the official Jets podcast. EA, let's pick up right where we left off here so we can get in 7 to 11 because we're going to have a lot of thoughts once the Jets are on the board. You mentioned the Carolina Panthers. 
Mel Kuyper has them selecting Derek Brown, the defensive tackle out of Auburn, who's widely regarded as the best interior guy. Javon Kinlaw is also in that conversation, but Derek Brown's like a, he didn't test well at the combine, but his tape is so good. And I think the Panthers also, I mean, I'm kind of viewing this with a jet scope. So a lot of mock drafts have had receiver and O-line at 11 for the Jets. And I think the Panthers probably not in the market for a receiver at seven, but they could be in the market, I would assume, for a tackle at seven also. Yeah, but you think about Rule and what he did, a great job at Temple, and then he goes to Baylor, and that program was in ashes when he got there. And what they did last year, going to the Big 12 title game, they were a couple quarters away from making the college football semifinals. So, Outstanding job on the college level. Now he's taking his shot in the National Football League with Carolina. Brown, the more you talk about Rule, the more I think he does make sense there because Rule's background is defense. You know, let's just keep things rolling. We're looking at the Cardinals now at number eight, and Mel Kuyper has them selecting Tristan Wirfs. And a couple weeks ago, this was a popular spot for CeeDee Lamb, who played with Kyler Murray at Oklahoma and CeeDee Lamb's the receiver. And now that they've traded for DeAndre Hopkins, probably looking at a tackle here or depending on how certain things play out ahead of them, maybe they look at somebody like Derek Brown if he falls or Isaiah Simmons or even somebody, I don't know if he would fall this far, but somebody like Jeff Akuda, maybe he makes sense for the Cardinals at eight because Patrick Peterson's getting up there in age. And I know they, uh, picked Byron Murphy last year in the second round, but maybe they want to Im- improve their secondary. I think the Cardinals are really interesting, actually. Uh, so they already fortified the tackle position, but you could set yourself up for a long time if you go tackle here, and you just made an investment number one overall, Kyler Murray. Now you give them the shiny new toy who, for my money, DeAndre Hopkins is as good as any receiver in the National Football League. He's always open greens. Uh, He physically is just a beast. And he he makes the extraordinary look ordinary. Wouldn't it be interesting if they took another tackle here to protect Murray, who has great movement skills? Um, Or you definitely could see him going with a receiver, too. Uh, And who would it be? Because... It seems to me, Greens, and you talked to Dane about this a lot during your pro, uh, prospect uh, profile series, that Lamb is more the thicker guy, uh, stout, uh, and Judy is probably more in short area spaces, the quicker guy, uh, maybe the more accomplished route runner. But uh, both both of these guys are tremendous targets. And who's your head coach? Cliff Kingsbury. No doubt about it. And I think the Cardinals are going to be interesting because they could go in a number of ways. And let's when you look at the Jaguars at nine, this is interesting, too, because Gardner Minshew is clearly he clearly won the job over Nick Foles, who was traded to the Bears. And Mel Kuyper has the Jaguars selecting Javon Kinlaw, the defensive tackle out of South Carolina. Now, the Jaguars also have two first round right. picks. So so do they want to make a move? for one, a quarterback and move up or do they sit where they are and take whoever comes to them or do they 
also want to trade up for somebody else like, I don't know, let's say Isaiah Simmons, just to say somebody as an example, they have the ammunition to load up if they want. They also have like three third round picks or two or three third round picks and three fourth round picks. Like they're loaded. They have the ammunition to go where they want. Prince, I don't think the Jaguars trade up unless they're targeting a quarterback. They are not going to move up unless they have a quarterback in mind. And then also what's going to happen with that great pass rusher there who they just franchised. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be very interesting. You're talking about Yannick Ngakwe, Ngakwe of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Right. Yeah, I wanted you to pronounce it for me. Ngakwe, yeah. Bottom, <laughs> bottom line, they, they just put the tag on him. He wants yeah. a long-term contract. Would he be on the move draft weekend? Will, will, will they entertain offers? Will teams be calling the Jaguars up? Because most teams in the National Football League, those are the two things you're going to target on defense. Needs. Pass rushers. Yeah. You never can have enough pass rushers in the NFL. The second part of that equation, of course, is cornerbacks. In Mel Kuyper's mock draft, we're now at number 10 of the Cleveland Browns. And most mock drafts from a Jets perspective have had them taking a receiver or an offensive tackle. In terms of offensive tackle in Kuyper's mock draft, the second one comes off the board at 10. The first one came off at 8, Tristan Wirfs. The second one is Mekhi Becton, who's the mountain of a man going to the Cleveland Browns who agreed to terms. And I believe that they confirmed that they signed Jack Conklin this free agency period. Well, yeah. So the fit there is, is Becton a guy who can project that left tackle on the next level? Um, because at Louisville greens, he was playing on the right side, correct? Uh, he played this past season on the left side and the year before that on the right yeah, side. So, so he has experience at both. Okay, so at 360-plus, is that guy going to take care of Baker on the left side? Because I, we've talked to certain people who think that he's best suited to play on the right side at, at, on Sundays. Makai Becton, Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Wills, and Andrew Thomas have all played right tackle at one point or another in their collegiate career. The only two that have played the left side are Makai Becton and Andrew Thomas. And so far in this mock draft, Becton comes off at 10. Andrew Thomas still on the board when the Jets select at 11. And now let's dive in here. The New York Jets in Mel Kuyper's mock draft select Jedrick Wills, the offensive tackle out of Alabama, over the other tackle, Andrew Thomas, and they have their pick of the litter at receiver in this scenario, if they so choose. Yeah, and listen, don't you think the Jets are going, if they stay at 11, this is likely, not exactly the way Kuiper put it out here as far as the top 10, but this scenario, you could certainly envision it where no receiver has been taken off the board. And you're staring, looking at Lamb and Judy, and at least one tackle, maybe two tackles. And if you're Joe Douglas, I think that's a great situation to be in, if this is the way how it plays out. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, I've seen mock drafts, EA, that have all four tackles off the board by the time the Jets select at 11. And that could change. Uh, That was before the free agency period opened. So free agency obviously has a big ripple effect for the draft. And 
I think it'd be uh, really interesting to see what Joe Douglas does, especially when you factor in what we just learned at the beginning of this podcast that Robbie Anderson signed or reportedly agreed to terms with the Carolina Panthers. So Dan, let me add something here. Like it wouldn't shock me at all. If, if Joe Douglas decided to pick a receiver, no matter who he signs in free agency, Okay, greens, a couple updates in free agency too. earlier today reports, national reports, Philip Dorsett, who played the last two years with the new England Patriots had four touchdowns each of the past two seasons with Tommy, TB12 throwing him a football. He has agreed to terms with Seattle Seahawks. Emmanuel Sanders had system familiarity with Adam Gase. Experienced a lot of success with him in Denver a few years back. A little bit of an older guy, 33 years old, I think now. He signed on to play with Drew Brees, 41-year-old Drew Brees in New Orleans. So uh, free agency certainly is not done, but a couple of those Uh, You know, more prominent names, I guess, have come off the board. Expect the Jets to uh, continue to fill out the roster as we go. We know that's going to happen. Uh, So many waves and multiple tiers of free agency. Um, But this is when you have to trust your evaluations, meaning so when these guys go and uh, they look at their overall board, where is Lamb? Where is Judy? And then where is the tackle, whether it be Wills, whether it be Becton, where are they? And are they close together? And what is more of a need? Because you never go need over best player available, but if it's close greens, then that's when the tie comes into an equation. We don't know. These are not finished products yet, the Jets offensive line, nor the Jets receiver group, of course, especially on a day we're hearing about Robbie Anderson agreeing to terms with Carolina. Yeah, I think that the Jets in this scenario are in a very good spot because they can select a tackle, assuming that they have a good grade on on one of the tackles left available of the core four. That would be Jedrick Wills, who Mel Kuyper pegs to the Jets, or Andrew Thomas. And then, to your point, pick of the litter at receiver. So I think the Jets are in a good spot. And Matt Miller said this is how I'll close out the podcast. In terms of Jerry Judy... He said, when I watch Jerry Judy, I see Odell Beckham. And then when you think of someone like CeeDee Lamb, I've heard him compared to more of a similar game to DeAndre Hopkins. Not to say that any of those two players are going to become, you know, pro bowlers, all pros like Odell and DeAndre Hopkins. But if you want to describe their style of game, those are the comparisons that are being made to the top of the class in the current state of the NFL. And I've also seen Dane Brugler said that when you look at Jerry Judy, he's almost, he he has a very similar game to a former Alabama first round pick in Calvin Ridley, extremely sharp route runner gets open, good hands. So the jets are in a good spot, regardless of what happens. Final word here on that tackles. I just want to get you, uh, get your comments here. Uh, Wills uh, real, real quickly. Wills more draft pundits right now, projecting him. Right tackle, correct? Yes, because he's played right tackle in all of his high school career and collegiate career. Right. So, obviously, teams are going to look at him at left, but they might just say, hey, listen, lock and load. We're putting him on the right side. Something to consider. I think this offensive tackle class up top is probably one of the better ones, at least from a projection standpoint that we've seen in the, in the past and to what we've been saying all along here at 11, 
if this is the way the draft shakes out, the Jets are in a good spot. Andrew to either Thomas select could be a hell of a player too. And I know that was the guy a lot of people were talking about before the year. And now these other three guys did play awfully well, uh, maybe interviewed well, uh, performed, had done nice jobs throughout the offseason. But I would say Andrew Thomas, let's not think about him in the mix uh, in addition. Yeah, I think, I think. I talked about this with Charles Davis at the combine and I asked him, don't you feel like Andrew Thomas might've slid down in the rankings just because he's been under the microscope for longer than the rest of these players. It's almost like you forget that he's a very good player. He's anchored the left side of the line for Georgia the past two seasons. Again, would it make sense to draft a receiver at 11, whether it's CD Judy, even somebody like Henry Ruggs. Yeah. As long as it, fits your scheme and as long as the grade is proper and it's not too rich in your eyes at that spot. Four and that's all the we top have. 79 oh, greens. You bet. And the Jets could very well take receivers in rounds two and three. And Jets have some ammunition too. And we'll break that down as we get closer to the draft. And that was a little draft centered podcast here on the official Jets podcast powered by AWS EA and I back tomorrow with another pod free agency draft we cover it all here ea keep doing the work from home keep grinding and we'll talk tomorrow yeah man the sun is out i love it i gotta get outside